You're listening to The Crash Pod, the only New Warriors podcast and perhaps the most inconsistent podcast ever. You can find us over at newwarriors.com. Uh, we're also on iTunes. We have a Facebook group that is pretty cool. You can go to facebook.com forward slash newwarriors.com group, all spelled out. Also, if you want to follow us on other social media, we are on Twitter at Twitter at new underscore warriors. Somewhere out there, one person just logged into iTunes and noticed there's a notification for this thing called the Crash Posh Posh Posh. That's right, the last time we did this, we, I, I did this, it's just me, right now. I used to have Corey and Doug be a part of this show, the three of us originally started it. Life got really hectic, trying to schedule all three people, different coasts, and whatever regions we were in the States, and eventually just became me. And it's really hard, I think, to do a podcast when it's just yourself, because you kind of feel like you're just talking to yourself. You don't really have anyone else to bounce off of. But I really enjoyed what we had, and as a big fan of the New Warriors, it's something I've always wanted to do. So I did one or two of them where what I would do is create a little trivia thing at the beginning, and then I would just kind of run through the synopsis of uh, a couple of the New Warriors issues. I would gotten all the way through 1 through 13 previously. Typically do like three or four issues um, per podcast. Uh, so this time what we're going to do, we, this is, I say we now because it's going to be me and you, that one listener who is still subscribed to the Crash Pod, who just went, what is happening right now? We, you and I, we're going to go on a special journey together and we're going to cover New Warriors number 14 through 17. Now, issue 14 pretty much stands on its own. 15, 16, and 17 all do with psionics and the return of, I always pronounced it Terax. Uh, if it's pronounced differently, please let me know. Uh, I've always just pronounced it Terax, T-E-R-R-A-X. So, I am notoriously uh, known for mispronouncing names. So there's a good chance I may even be pronouncing that wrong. And somewhere through the podcast, I'm probably going to mispronounce someone else's name. So let's get started. Uh, let's go into the trivia first. All right. In issue number 14 of New Warriors, volume one, Dwayne gives something to Nova. What is it? Go ahead and write that question down once again. In issue number 14, volume one, Dwayne, Night Thrasher, gives something to Rich Ryder, Nova. What is it? All right. Got it written down? You're good? You're good? We're going to go to the next question. Also in issue number 14, what is the name of the armor that Namorita wears? Once again, what is the name of the armor that Namorita wears in issue number 14? And sort of related to that same question, the next trivia question, if you're ready. Does Namorita ever wear this armor again? And if so, when? All right. So in 14, she wears an armor. It's called something. Second part of that question, does she ever wear it again? And if so, when? All right. At the end of issue 16, who says, it's clobbering time? All right, once again, at the end of issue number 16, who says it's clobbering time? All right, this one is almost kind of a trick question in a roundabout way. Who is seen in that final panel that says it's clobbering time at the end of issue 16, but is not seen in the opening page of number 17? So it's supposed to be the same page kind of deal, but there is someone missing from the two, from the end of issue number 16, that panel, last panel, to the first panel in issue 17. Ah, put that book away. Don't try to cheat. I see you trying to cheat right now, so don't do that. Try to answer it sincerely. And if you don't know, that's okay, because it's just me and you. It's me and this one person that still listens to this podcast thing. Since the last one I did was in 2017. Was that the final question? No. No. 
So, uh, who is seen saying it's clobbering time in the opening of page or who is seen saying it's clobbering time in the opening page of number 17? Wait, is that a trick question? Wasn't the question earlier about at the end of issue number 16, who says it's clobbering time? And now you're asking me, is it different from the last panel of 16 to the first panel in issue 17? Yeah, I'm asking you, is it different? Is it the same person, same persons uh, between the two? Is it one person that says it at the end of 16? Is it two people that says it at the end of 16? Is it only one person that says it at the beginning of 17? Or is it two people that say it? And if you know, answer. But don't cheat. So put those comics away. Put them away. And we're going to have one final trivia question. The Fantastic Four appear in issue 17, volume 1. But who is the surprise guest appearance in the issue? All right. So we're going to fly through these questions once again real quick. In issue number 14, Dwayne, Night Thrasher, gives Rich Rider, Nova, something. What is it? What is the name of the armor Namorita wears in issue 14? Does Namorita ever wear this armor again? And if so, when? You can even answer why if you wanted to. Uh, at the end of issue 16, who says... It's clobbering time. And a clue, it may be more than one person. All right. And who is seen on the final panel of that issue where they say it's clobbering time, but they're not seen in the opening panel of issue 17. So from issue 16, there's a, a little panel with everyone in this page that issue 17 opens with that's supposed to be very much pretty much the same. But someone is missing between issue 16 and issue 17 just for this panel. And then who is seen saying it's clobbering time in the opening page of number 17? Again, this could be a trick question because I asked who said it at the end of 16. Now I'm asking who said it at the beginning of 17. So it could be two people, three people, one person uh, between the two pages. Figure it out if you know. If you don't, don't worry about it. I wouldn't have been able to answer it without having just reread these issues. And the last question. The Fantastic Four appear in issue number 17 of the first volume. But who is the surprise guest that appears in this issue? All right. With that trivia out of the way, let's get to talking about New Warriors number 14. So we start off in Staten Island, New York. Uh, it's around 10.35 p.m. And there seems to be some illegal cargo uh, stuff happening here on this dock. And it's interrupted by our dynamic duo of Speedball and Namorita. Well, yes, it's Speedball and Namorita who interrupt these illegal doings. The issue notes, thanks to John Byrne for the key which opened the lock inside the treasure chest. And I actually don't know what that means. At first I thought, well... Was the armor that Namorita wears in this issue referenced perhaps before in uh, issue of Namor? And I can find no reference to it. Uh, it could just be the fact that Namor is in it and John Byrne did a long run of uh, Submariner and Namor. So maybe that's it. But if anyone knows specifically as to what I assume it's Fabian said, means by saying thanks to John Byrne for the key which opened the lock inside the treasure chest, I would love to know. I would love to know. Anyway, there's some funny banter between Namorita referencing something fishy going on. Ha ha ha. And Speedball saying, how fares the fair Namorita? So they have some great fun banter, which Fabian excels at. Fabian just knows how to write characters to make him feel real. And each one of them feel very different than each other. They are definitely not cardboard cutouts when it comes to Fabian writing characters. He definitely knows how to make each one of them feel different and unique and give them each like like deep, real problems that you and I can associate with. Um, I'll go more into that if I continue doing these, hopefully not like in a three, four, five year span in between. 
uh, when we get to really talking about something that Angelica Firestar goes through and something Namorita goes through later and something that Marvel Boy goes through and even something that uh, in one of the issues I cover that Speedball is going through. So, I mean, there are some deep issues with all of these characters that are very, very much based on like real situations, not just, oh, how do I defeat this villain? But they have real life personal problems that also develop in their life. But anyway, Namorita notes that the mysterious caller informed her that this was going down. So we don't know who that is yet, but we will later. She also notes that the warriors have been kind of weirded out in the last few weeks, which is why she didn't invite the others and only invited Speedball. Now, I don't know what that is in reference to about the warriors being weirded out. I can't remember if this is referencing uh, an annual, because right before this was the uh, story with Lady Sphinx and the alternate reality, which I don't think would have really impacted the new warriors and them feeling weird, because really none of them remember it except for Nova, if I remember correctly. Namorita realizes that these guys are not just smugglers, they're actually smuggling Atlantean artifacts. Before she can really process that even much further, this mysterious stranger appears, and it's none other than Marvel's newest hero back then, Darkhawk. So Darkhawk looks down and believes that Namorita, and possibly Speedball, are the ones behind the illegal smuggling because he looks down and he sees Namorita basically gathering this treasure stuff and looking at it and pretty much the natural hero versus hero battle ensues uh, and it takes Speedball to break up the fight uh, and say um, hey look we're new warriors I'm sure you've heard of us and Darkhawk replies mm, yeah no I don't know who you are I don't know who she is and I've pretty much never heard of the new warriors and Pretty much how I feel is how what Speedball says, and he says, you know, we pretty much need to get a new publicist. Like, we need to get her name out there. This is ridiculous. In all this chaos, a boat just attempts to get away, and Speedball basically uses his kinetic energy to bounce and try to land on the boat to put a stop to it, eh, but he falls a little short and lands in the ocean and is pretty much forced to swim back to the pier where he is complaining that the newbie hero, Darkhawk, is going to see how he looked. And they do a little bit of banter back and forth where Darkhawk asks, hey, what's up with your weird jello hair? And Speedball quips back, uh, what's up with your hollow voice? So I love that immediately these two are already kind of getting along and having some fun banter back and forth. But in the meantime, Namorita tracks a small boat down to a larger boat that's clearly behind the salvaging. And uh, she decides to basically attack the crew unaware that her main opponent has snuck up behind her and he's in this large, massive red armor. And he seems to know quite a bit about her because he references her as a half-breed. Now, this is because of her human genetics and her Atlantean genetics and being a clone of uh, Namora. So this shows that whoever this villain is clearly knows who he's dealing with. And Namorita gets taken down by a heat conduction coil, um, which is more evidence that he kind of knows how to deal not only with Namorita, but Namor. He knows to basically use this energy to siphon the water out of their body and make him go, grow weak. And this guy introduces himself as Jeremy Swimming Bear, but Namorita calls him Sea Urchin, to which he replies that was a name given to him by environmentalists, and he doesn't care for that name. I'm not sure Namorita cares that much about it, but it's not like she can do much, because he then literally and I'm saying literally on purpose, beats her to a bloody pulp. There is about four or five panels where you see his fist punching into her face, and there is blood literally splattering on the panel. So he is not holding back. He is beating the tar out of her and doesn't care that she's a woman, has no regard at all. He knows that she's dangerous. He knows what she's capable of. And he does not hold back. He just pummels her. He proceeds to mention that he knows that she is the cousin of Namor, which is further evidence that he's clearly done some research as to not only Namor, but who Namorita is. So he's done some digging. He's kind of the expert at knowing who his enemies are out in the ocean if he ever encounters them. And then he proceeds to extend a blade from the fist of the armor and says, 
let me show you what my native people used to do. And he proceeds to scalp her. And I say that in quotes because that's what he basically, uh, you know, implies that he's going to do is scalp her head. But all he really does is actually cut off her ponytail, which, you know, personally made me mad because I like Namorita with long hair, but that's just neither here nor there. Anyway, continuing on. The scene then shifts to Rich Ryder, who's better known as Nova, Dwayne Taylor, who we better know as Night Thrasher, and Silhouette Cord, who just goes by Silhouette. And they're all meeting at Queensboro Mall, uh, where Dwayne, and he's just trying to clear the air, you know, make things right, because Dwayne did pretty much toss Rich off of a rooftop with no net below. And as Rich fell, his power thankfully kicked in and he didn't splatter on the floor. This naturally creates some anxiety and uh, mistrust towards Dwayne from Rich because you were willing to just drop him off a roof with no safety precaution below, assuming slash knowing that Rich's power would kick in. But uh, just to clear the air, because uh, Nova at this point had been going by the name of Kid Nova, uh, he basically gives Nova his old costume. Uh, and it's not really his old costume, but it looks just like it. So this implies that Nova, or Rich, is going to take up the name Nova again and no longer really go by Kid Nova. We shift the scene and we go to West Morris, New Jersey, where Vance, who we know at this time is currently still being called Marvel Boy, he meets her father um, when he goes to pick up Angelica for a date. Uh, Vance mentions, and I should have used this for one of the trivia questions, because we just answered one of the trivia questions about what Dwayne gave Nova, if you were not paying attention, tried to just slide that by you. And I should have used this as another trivia question that he mentions his last name is Slavic in origin and that he goes to college. And just for fun, anyone know what college? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? 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 It is Columbia College. That is where he goes. I should have used those as trivia questions. And probably the next thing also would probably be kind of a fun trivia question as to what vehicle does Vance use to take Angelica on a date? And that it is his motorcycle. So who would have thought that Vance uses a motorcycle? But he explains it's really, really convenient and it's really economical and stuff like that. And Firestar sighs and says, of course, you would find like a good logical reason to use a bike rather than just ride the bike because it's wild and free and crazy and dangerous. No car doors around you, no seatbelt. Now Vance has these logical reasons why he rides this bike. Uh, but we shift scenes again, and we go to Oracle Incorporated in Manhattan, which is owned by none other than Namor. And we see Namorita laying on a bed, severely beaten. Like, she is bruised, beat, cut, wrapped up in bandages. And even Speedball notes that none of them, none of them have ever been beaten so badly. And Namor uh, goes on to pretty much explain that, you know, hey... Unfortunately, these items that this guy is recovering are from abandoned Atlantean sites. So it's technically not theft, but rather recovery for historical references and, you know, note. Uh, but Namorita pretty much says, but that's not why he's doing it. This has nothing to do with him doing this for historical reasons or for all the right reasons. He is doing it for greed. He is selling it. He's, you know, black market stuff. He's not a good guy. He also beat the crap out of me. And he also, you know, desecrated everything I stand for. He desecrated my heritage. He desecrated me. He spit on me. She does say he literally spit on her. And so she is furious. And it's really odd that Namor doesn't seem to be furious, right? Because Namor is always the one that's kind of lost his temper throughout his run in Defenders, throughout his run in Avengers, even throughout his run in the Namor series. He was very, very hot-tempered. And it seems odd as to why, but we'll find out why he's not angry here shortly. And it's not just because Sea Urchin is doing this for historical purposes. Um, it's another reason that Namorita will soon call out. So Namorita goes and out of like sheer anger, um, heads into the other room and she dons a special armor called the Blood Code Carapace. So there is one of the answers to the trivia question. What is the name of the armor Namorita wore? It's the Blood Code Carapace. Carapace? That's how I always pronounce it. Carapace. Carapace, right? Uh, again, I'm known for slaughtering words, so I may have mispronounced it, but that's how I always pronounce it. Carapace. 
Anyway, we learn that Namor is calm because he's taking oxygen treatments to regulate his mood. And she calls him out for once being called the Avenging Son and no longer being the great guy that he used to be. You know, he's weak, doesn't have the strength. And she's going to do what's required. And by wearing this armor, she accepts the fact that what she is saying is when she fights Sea Urchin, it is a fight to the death. Because that's what this armor means. That's what it requires to wear this armor is to say... Who stands before me as an enemy? I will fight to the death. And there is a um, Atlantean saying that they include in the issue that kind of emphasizes this. And then we switch over to about 300 miles off the coast of North Carolina, uh, where we see sea urchin plunging into the ocean. And he reaches the ocean floor where we can see he's standing in the midst of some kind of underwater ruins, which is clearly probably Atlantean that has since been abandoned and crumbled. But he doesn't get to enjoy that for a very long time because suddenly Namorita shows up underwater and strikes him, explaining the fact that she had found him because he had registered his shipping route and salvage plans with the Maritime Commission, which he did basically to make it seem like what he's doing is like legit and he's doing this for historical purposes. But we all know it's for greed and it's black market stuffs, and this guy's clearly a villain because of how he treated Namorita. So she's in there to basically end him. So he tries to gut her by extending a knife, misses, he tries to shock her, but she's ready for it, and she crushes his armored fist, and she explains, this time, I'm going for kill or be killed, and that's what this armor means. And Sea Urchin finally picks up, like, she's serious, like, she is about to try to kill me, calling through the radio saying, hey, get ready. I'm coming up quick. Get ready to do the oxygen thing and, you know, all this other stuff that's going to be required because I'm or elevating through the ocean levels so quickly that a normal human's body would just pretty much combust. But Namorita catches up to him before he can get far, and she digs her nails into the faceplate of this armor, and it starts to crack. And she knows at this depth, if she just pushes it through, What's going to happen is not only is the water going to come in and quickly drown sea urchin, but also it's going to you know, destabilize the water pressure that this armor grants him. And it's literally going to crush his head and crush his body within the armor. And she decides at this point, no matter what, no matter what, she is not a killer and she cannot do this. So what she does is she grabs the armor and basically quickly swims to the surface and throws him down onto the ship and says, you know what, this is going to stop now. This is over. You stop here. We end this now. And one of Sea Urchin's men grabs a gun, but is quickly knocked out by someone on the boat named Michael. And I am going to slaughter the name of this name, uh, but it looks like to me Shanigan. It's S-H-A-N-E-G-H-A-N-N. So Shanigan? Shangan? Shanigan? Uh, and he works with Project Earth, who we actually saw before. Uh, they were referenced in New Warriors 7 through 9. So if you want to listen to the previous podcast a few back, I actually talk about issues 7 through 9 in that. So you can find out more about Project Earth and, and this character there. Look at me making callbacks to a previous stuff that I did. Crazy. It's only like, what, probably like eight, nine, ten years old. So, you know, totally recent. Anyway, um, he explains that he had suspected Sea Urchin had bombed one of their ships, uh, you know, one of the Project Earth ships, about two years ago, and he'd been collecting information and basically pretending to be a member of Sea Urchin's crew to gather evidence. And Namorita then realizes it was Michael who tipped her off about the illegal smuggling to actually try to put a stop to Sea Urchin. Namorita eventually returns Namor, and um, she pretty much suffers like a slight crisis of personality because she couldn't bring herself to kill him, so she doesn't really know what to do. She knows that she's neither full-blooded Atlantean, and she knows that she's not full-blooded human, and she just kind of collapses in Namor's arms like, I don't know who I am, really. And Namor just kind of takes her and says, you know what, we'll get through this together. So that's how issue 14 ends. Uh, if you listen closely, as I said, answered a few of the trivia questions already. 
So we're going to slide right into issue number 15. This issue opens up with Rich, better known as Nova, in his original costume, once again going by and being referred to as the man called Nova, which is how he was referred to in his original series that ran for, oh my gosh, it's either 20 or 25 issues. Anyway, it ran for either 20 or 25 issues before it had come to an end, way previous to actually when the New Warriors came out. Now, there's a fun note that Stephen Commander posted on the New Warriors face group, or face group, what is face group, uh, posted on the New Warriors Facebook group page, not the not the Facebook page, but there's actually one specific for the group page. If you go to newwarriors.com, over on the right hand side, you'll see a link to it. Uh, you'll have to answer three questions to actually be allowed to be joined in. This is so that spammers can't come in. They're pretty easy questions about like, what Speedball's real name and stuff like that. Stuff that you can easily find on newwarriors.com if you really didn't know the answers are <laughs> there. Like, who is Namorita related to? Look her up on newwarriors.com and you'll find out who she's related to. So you have to answer these three questions. You can get into this group. This group is great. Um, it's not like abundantly crazy active that you won't be able to keep up to anything. I would say on the average, there's like anywhere from two to five messages maybe a day, if that. Sometimes it's about five messages a week, so it's like one a day. So it's it's a nice pace where it's not too much, and it's not where it's like, well, it's dead, like nothing's happening. Anyway, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Commander, not sure if Commander is his real last name, but whatever, uh, he had posted a thing called Under the Influence, which is written by Jay Farber. And Jay had written Volume 2 of The New Wars, which I personally really liked as well. Um, and he mentions that Rich Ryder was named Kid Nova rather than Nova because at the time there was a female character by the name of Frankie Ray who was going by the name Nova. So Marvel wanted to avoid any type of confusion as to, oh, Nova appears in this issue. Wait a minute. It's not Rich or it's not Frankie Ray, you know, causing perhaps confusion between new readers to Marvel. So he had adopted the name Kid Nova. But by issue 15, he apparently gets his name back. And I'm not sure if Frankie Ray just started going by Frankie Ray so that Rich Ryder could be Nova. Or if Fabian just said, screw you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call Rich Ryder Nova because everyone is complaining about the name uh, Kid Nova. We actually learned that Rich's costume is not his old costume. Well, it looks like his old costume, but it's actually not the actual physical copy of his old costume. Or actually, technically is a copy of his costume. It's just not his original costume, I should say. Uh, despite it looks exactly like it, but it's actually a costume that Dwayne, uh, better known as Night Thrasher, had actually developed. And he included a couple of things like telescopic sights, a uh, radio that allows him to basically listen to a police band. Not not police the band, but like a police dispatch radio. And it has some like night vision and heat vision, all of which is about to come into play right now. He picks up some officers trying to bust a crack house. And he heads there thinking he can be of great help. Using his heat vision, he can see through the walls and proceeds to basically crash through the walls of this house and take down the two crack dealers in this house who are holding what appears to be automatic uh, shotguns and like Uzis and stuff like that. And what I love, and I, I mentioned this earlier about Fabian's writing, it's never just that easy with Fabian at the wheel. Because when Nova busts through and takes down these two crack dealers with semi-automatic weapons and machine gun type weapons, you think that's it, right? Like, you know, the hero's come, he's shown up, he's done his thing. Yay for the hero. Pat on the back to Nova, not the kid Nova anymore, just Nova. And everyone's going to be super excited, right? But that is not the case when Fabian's at the wheel. Not only when does Nova come in kicking down the wall, take down the two crack dealers, when he turns, he sees a woman who looks pretty emancipated. Uh, she looks very thin, and she's clutching two children who also look very, very thin. And all of them have like this uncanny fear of look in their eyes, uh, with credit to the artist there. And... Also, without a doubt, what's being implicated here is that 
this family is also suffering through addiction because of what those inside the house are currently dealing. And this creates a very complex situation for Rich, uh, who turns and he realizes, you know, like, yeah, I just did something great, but what can I do for these people who are actually suffering through addiction? Like taking out the dealers. Awesome. I did my job. I took them off the street, but now he's face to face with what appears to be a woman, sorry, a woman and undoubtedly two children, probably through birth who are also suffering through addiction. Like, I don't think they're implying that these kids were doing drugs because they look fairly young. They look somewhere between five and eight years old. Not to say that kids between five and eight do not do drugs. That is entirely also possible. But how I read this situation is that she is also an addict um, just through circumstance of who she is with, uh, who her, perhaps her family, her boyfriend, her husband is in this whole crack house deal that when she had these children who look fairly young as well, uh, they appear to also probably be born with an addiction to the situation. And Rich essentially says to them very calmly, I'm not here to hurt you. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell the police officers, we'll, we'll get you and your children some help. But when you look at that in reality, what's really going to happen is these kids are eventually going to be taken away from their mother because of the situation that she's in and, and this addiction that she's in, that these children will be taken from her and brought into like child custody to find a, you know, a better home and find help for them to probably get through whatever addiction they may also be suffering through. So it's a very, very real moment that happens in this issue. And when Rich heads home, he's thinking about like, wow, you know, like it's so hard to really make a difference in this world when there's problems like this that just can't be solved by punching someone in the face and taking them out. You know, there's a much deeper rooted issue that punching the bad guy does not solve. And to perhaps make matters worse, as Rich flies into the window, he's holding his Nova helmet, but he still has the rest of the Nova costume on. And his parents walk in and say, wait a minute, you're still Nova? Or you're Nova again? And so we're going to cut away from that because we want the suspense of what's going to happen. And that's what Fabian does really well is always cut when there's like a good moment you want it to keep going and he cuts away so that you're forced to read something else which is just as great before he brings you back to whatever is about to happen next so what we're going to do is we're going to jump to gene tech superhuman research facility which is located in Saville, long island and we see walter and mr Harmon. gonna probably slaughter this last name but i always pronounce it as ferments uh, they're speaking about how they've tried to basically recreate Proteus, and uh, that is actually happened in New Wars Annual Number 1, which I've not covered in any of these podcasts, because what I'll probably do is cover issues 1 through 75, and then go back and cover the annuals, uh, unless an issue specifically may tie to it when it says the story continues in whatever, New Wars Annual number 3, for example, or something like that. If that's the case, I'll try to cover the annual at that time versus waiting at the end of the whole series. Because it's not always super clear, unless I look at Corey Blake's website, which is New Wars Conundrum website, and he actually does an amazing job. If you've not checked it out, just Google it and you'll find it. Uh, he has all the characters, um, where they've appeared, the um, order in which all of this chaos in the Marvel Universe happens, uh, because some issues do flashbacks and all that stuff. And Corey has done an amazing job of putting all this together. So I probably could look at his website and just find out what order things are in. But it looks like I've already messed up by not covering New Wars Annual Number 1, which has already apparently happened because it references it this as a footnote. And we learn that uh, Mr. Harmon, Ferments, and Walter, what they're doing is they're studying the irradiated soil remains of Terax, who was defeated in the beginning of this new Warriors run in issues one and two. And it's being it has been collected and being examined by Gene Tech, and they're trying to make note of like what it is and what they can do with it. And they say the only real danger is if the soil samples are somehow linked together. Right, so we know that something could go wrong. We can guess 
that something is going to go wrong because it's comic books. So we now know that there's a weakness to this solution, and we know somehow this is about to go down. Uh, but good old Fabian, uh, he's foreshadowing, but he uh, go heads and moves forward. And what we do next is we have uh, Mr. Harmon Ferments and Walter. They're checking on their team that they've pulled together and um, helped create, which is a team called Psionics, which the New Warriors had previously fought. And what we see is we see Asylum, who is a female mute. Um, what we don't know is how she got her powers, whether it was something that um, Harmon and Walter did or if she was just born with it. Um, maybe it's Maybelline. But what she does is she controls the Dark Force powers and they explain how she's actually been able to control it more to create like an offensive means of using her power. And then we see Coronary, who has somehow reassembled himself. He had taken a fall and shattered when uh, in the previous fight uh, Namorita flew by, picked him up, and flew straight up, and he had basically caused her to have intense uh, stomach pains, if I remember correctly, and she accidentally releases him from that height, and he shatters on the floor. But what we find out is that he was able to pull his body back together, and they note that he has way more control over the, the molecular level of his body. So he can do things like phase through things. He can extend his body arms like Mr. Fantastic. So he's got way more control over his body mass. So it's no longer just about creating immense pain to someone, but it's having complete control of his own body as well. So it's two different powers really that have developed through this process of him being shattered and pulling his body back together. And we see, and I always call it mathematic, we see that he's become very powerful with his arithmetic telepathy, which actually allows him to control some foundations of the actual way the universe works, which is crazy powerful. And we see that pretty persuasion, and she's in solitary confinement because, well, she keeps seducing the psych team and the lab members, so she just can't be trusted. So they put her in solitary confinement, and they're like, all right, no one go around her because she's going to seduce you and uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be pleasurable. It's in her name. But listen, you got to stop doing it. So it's at that moment, basically, that Psionics bursts through the wall and they mention, you know what? We're tired of being test subjects. We're tired of this stuff. We're going to break free and we're out of here. We're on our own. And uh, we cut away again uh, because, again, the suspense of like, well, wait, they're, they're, they're breaking free. What does that mean? So again, we cut away because Fabian likes to leave us in suspense as we go through these stories. And uh, before that happens, actually, I should say that um, Walter and I believe it's Harmon, uh, they call for help uh, from the new warriors. But Impulse shows up and basically cuts Walter from the back. And it looks like he just basically severs his spine. It looks really severe. But we'll see later, actually, uh, Walter is able to stand. Um, it just looked much worse than what it appeared. So we scene shift over to an abandoned Taylor Foundation-owned factory along the East River, and uh, the new warriors are inside discussing how they're going to make this their new base of operations. Uh, when asked about the Taylor Foundation, Dwayne just explains, yeah, it's a financial uh, conglomerate uh, that deals in charities, investments, stock holdings, eh, stuff like that. But he says that pretty much Cord and Ty, is how I always pronounce it, they pretty much run it. Uh, the only reason he really cares about the Taylor Foundation himself is for funding for the New Warriors to keep the New Warriors going. They get a call from Cord that Psionics has busted loose, and we see for the first time that Vance uses his telekinetic ability to actually fly. And uh, he carries Night Thrasher and Sill as Firestar follows, and Dwayne tells Cord to tell the others, which include Namorita, Nova, and Speedball, to meet them there at Genetech. So speaking of Speedball, and I said earlier where a bunch of these characters have personal issues that are completely relatable to a lot of just normal people. It might not be you, because you might not be going through this, but definitely relatable to a normal person. We see that when Robbie Baldwin, better known as Speedball, gets home, uh, he's basically trying to study, but he can't focus because his parents are arguing. And they're arguing like severely to the point where Robbie actually thinks at this point they should just split up, just split up and be done with it. But before he can really think too much more on it, he gets a call that speedball is needed. 
So we scene shift next to Namorita. She's in the tub trying to heal up from the wounds she got from Sea Urchin. So when she gets that call, she's like, eh, you know what? Uh, fighting in a bikini when I'm still this busted up, probably not a good idea. So she decides she's going to use a different costume. Now, have you guessed what costume she's going to use? We'll get to that in a minute. So we cut over to Rich's place, and Rich is telling his parents that, you know what? Yeah, you know, my powers just recently kicked in, which technically they did. Dwayne dropped him from a roof in New Warriors number one, as I'd mentioned earlier. And he meant to tell his parents that he was Nova again, but like a lot of stuff has been going on, and he wanted to talk to them. But just then, the call comes in that Nova is needed because Psionics has busted loose. So Speedball, crazy enough, is the first one to arrive at the scene at Gene Tech, followed by Marvel Boy, Firestar, Night Thrasher, and Silhouette, and Namorita making her dramatic appearance wearing the armor she wore when she fought Sea Urchin, which will answer your question. Did she wear the armor again after issue 14? Yes, she wore it one more time in issue 15 to fight Psionics because she thought the armor would better protect her already wounded body. I forgot to say that Nova was there um, also because it's speedball then Nova shows up. Um, inside we see Psionics has captured, uh, which is really weird because they said we're busting out. They've captured and what appears to be holding employees of Gene Tech hostage uh, when the new warriors basically surprise them by busting through the wall. Namorita's surprised that when she goes to grab Coronary, who she had grabbed previously and dropped accidentally, that she goes right through his body. And she's even more surprised when he suddenly stretches his arm and punches her from afar, displaying his complete control over the molecular density of his body. Firestar blasts Coronary, and her blast goes through his glass-like body and actually causes him immense pain, which causes Firestar to pause because, you know, she's wanting to stop these guys but not do anything to severely hurt them. This gives enough time for Asylum to basically come by, sneak up behind her, and wrap her up in the Dark Force energy that is made up of her body. But Marvel Boy is there to help Firestar escape. And, you know, Firestar is basically on the ground saying, I was all alone, I was all alone. So she's clearly suffered this massive, like, fear experience that being in this energy that is Asylum's body generates. Pretty Persuasion um, has managed to catch Speedball with her um, neural whip thing and says that Speedball has a truckload of stamina. That's kind of, you know, a compliment coming from someone like Pretty Persuasions, who has probably dealt with a lot of gentlemen who have a lot of stamina. <laughs> and uh, at this time, Math mathematic um has basically applied it, like uh, a enhanced perception of gravitational force that is pushing down on nova keeping him pinned to the ground but speedball says you know we have to do something and nova's like i got an idea pretty much and he punches speedball as hard as he can which sends speedball bouncing around the room and speedball's able to then uh, turn his body and basically control where he's bouncing and he pretty much slams into Pretty Persuasions and into Mathematic and when Pretty Persuasion gets back on her feet and she's confronting Nova, Silhouette pretty much shows up and delivers a KO to Pretty Persuasions and knocks her out. Harmon uh, seems to be having a complete crisis of identity and believes that his dreams are crashing down around him so it looks like there's only one logical thing to do. He rushes over to the Terax soil containment and unleashes it, hoping to harvest the power of Terax into himself to stop the fighting happening inside the lab. And instead, all he does is actually unleash Terax, who manages to take over his body and Harmon perishes as a result. And that will end New Warriors number 15. So we'll slide over now into New Warriors 16. This issue opens up with Tarax riding a stone tidal wave away from Gene Tech, leaving the building in ruins, and only Marvel Boy's telekinetic shield prevents the New Warriors, Psionics, and Mr. Rosen from being buried alive. Coronary, Asylum, and Pretty Persuasions make the choice to basically say, you know what? Eh, not our fight. We're out of here. Good luck. Uh, Mathematic, however, wants to do the right thing and, you know, says... Yeah, the probability of Terax continuing is really, really bad pretty much for everyone. I'm going to go ahead and help you guys out. 
and coronary says yeah 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 you know what i'll help pretty much as well but i'm just not doing it for the right reasons rather than doing it for good i'm just doing it looking for a good fight that's gonna be a choice he will soon come to regret so terax in the meantime is surging his way on a concrete wave just vowing vengeance against the Fantastic Four, against Silver Surfer, and eventually Galactus himself, which is a bold dream, you know, to basically think you can take on Galactus. The warriors do manage to catch up to him and lift him up from his concrete wave, because this is how they originally defeated him when he originally appeared in New Warriors number one and two. Um, they pretty much got him off the concrete wave. This weakened him and they were able to defeat him. And this time he pretty much scoffs and sends an electrical surge coursing through his body and claims that he's no longer the weakened version that they originally fought. He is now truly powered again. Firestar decides she's going to hit him with microwave energy uh, until he becomes essentially red hot, like the stone of his body is red in color but it does nothing to really slow him down. Impulse at this time tries to rush Tarax after Night Thrasher knocks Tarax down with a bomb, but Tarax recovers really, really quickly and with a sickening, crushing blow, snaps Impulse's spine. That's right. With a side swipe of his massive stone fist, he pretty much bends Impulse to look like the letter C. From a standing position to a letter C position, spine snapped. We then go to Riker's Island prison where we see Midnight's fire and he's doing basically handstand push-ups, which is pretty incredible. Uh, when suddenly a mysterious figure appears in his cell and introducing himself as the hand that will guide him. When Midnight Fire's cellmate threatens the stranger for whatever reason uh, with a shiv, the stranger incinerates the cellmate with a black energy coursing from their left hand and explains to Midnight's Fire that he has come to free him and show him the truth about him, Silhouette, and Dwayne Taylor, which is Night Thrasher, who is also Midnight's Fire's personal enemy. We cut back over to the Queen's side of the East River and Tarax is riding his tidal wave once again, just coursing through the city, destroying everything in its path. Terax hits Speedball and sends him flying so hard and so often bouncing around different things that the kinetic field is building up so much that Robbie makes the point that he says he can barely control it. So what he does is he bounces and controls where he's bouncing after a moment and bounces back towards Terax and basically unleashes all of that kinetic energy that has built up into him through his fist and punches Terax so hard that he literally sends Tarax flying for miles. And not only for miles, but with enough force to send Tarax crashing into a building out the other side and hitting the soil. That is an amazing display of power that we have not seen any of the new warriors do yet in terms of raw strength. We haven't seen Nova hit him that hard. We haven't seen Namorita hit him that hard. And these are the you know the powerhouses right now of the new warriors is Nova and Namorita in terms of strength. So Terax rises again and Nova says, well there's only one thing left to do and he he seems to just flee the fight, which is really odd, but there's a reason for it. So nothing the warriors or Mathematic seem to do have any effect on Terax. And just as he manages to basically defeat them all, he's hit from a blast from behind and turns to see the Fantastic Four along with Nova and Speedball with large guns. And both Nova and Speedball say, It's clobbering time. Did you catch that? That was an answer to one of the trivia questions. All right. So I think I've answered all of them so far up to what we're at. So we're going to go ahead and slide into New Warriors number 17. It opens with a beautiful panel that symbolizes pretty much the last panel of issue 16. However, the person that's missing in this panel is Speedball, which is another trivia question. Who was missing? Speedball is not seen, whereas at the end of issue 16, he's seen with um, the Fantastic Four, Nova, and Speedball. Opening of 17, it's just the Fantastic Four and Nova on the opening panel. 
And it's only Thing this time who says it's clobbering time. So where we see actually Nova and Speedball say that catchphrase that belongs to the Thing at the end of issue 16, in the opening of issue 17, it's actually just the Thing who says it. So I don't know which one to actually consider which one happened. Was it Speedball and Nova who said it, or was it just the Thing who said it, or was it Speedball and Nova said it first, and then uh, Thing said it afterwards, you know, in the opening of issue 17. No idea how to read that. That's probably a problem that Corey Blake can try to figure out. <laughs> so anyway, Terax unleashes this massive force of energy that seems to just wipe out everything around him. And he's very surprised when the energy and everything dissipate dust settles down. The Fantastic Four, as well as Nova, are still standing there, and it's thanks to Sue Richards' invisible barrier. So they drop the barrier at that moment and nail Terax at the same time with these energy guns. The energy is coursing through Terax and it seems to visibly cause him some problems. And uh, This huge wave of energy is set forward and a innocent bystander who happens to be in the area, a young male, uh, is thrown. He essentially looks like he's about to be impaled. But Night Thrasher grabs him by his foot and saves him from being impaled and says, run keep running and when you can't run anymore stand up and keep running and reed richards explains that the guns um that they're firing at terax are basically energy dampeners that block the ambient cosmic energy that terax uses to replenish himself it doesn't absorb it but it's currently blocking it so if they can force terax to keep burning that energy he won't have any replenished during all this chaos with the you know earth just being moved around from terax throwing stuff around Vance manages to go and save a woman from being crushed and comes to realize uh, not only is she pregnant, but she is about to have a baby. So Namorita flies down and says, I got it. And she takes a woman and flies off with her, which means Namorita has now departed the fight. Night Thrasher is completely frustrated that the warriors are not capable of taking down Terex on their own. Like they needed the Fantastic Four to help. But the rest of the new warriors are like, listen, it may be true that we can't take Tarax on our own, like he's over our scale, he's kind of a cosmic being. He's not someone we would normally fight here on Earth anyway. Maybe our resources right now are better served trying to save innocent lives that are being impacted by everything that Tarax is doing. He's literally just throwing concrete around, he's tearing down buildings. There are plenty of people that currently need to be rescued and saved due to what Terax is doing, and that's probably where the new warriors need to focus versus, like, why can't we take Terax? Let the Fantastic Four do what they're doing. Let us do what we can do to help. And so Terax continues to fight. He manages to snuff out Human Torch's flames by breaking a water line uh, that's underneath. And Terax explains, you know, yeah, he's powerful now, like he's not as weak as he was when he first appeared in New Warriors, but because he is inhabiting a mortal body, he can no longer just leave the Earth, so he means to basically force all of Earth to its knees, and he plans to subjugate everyone on the planet and make it his world, his laws, everything about him. Reed Richards alludes that uh, some other help is on the way, but in the meantime, Firestar goes full force on Terax. She mentions she is not holding back at all, which manages to actually hurt him and distract him long enough for Namorita to fly in back from dropping off the pregnant woman at the hospital and land a cheap shot from behind, which, when you're fighting Terax, that's fine. He doesn't care about anything. Uh, he's caused so much destruction. However you can take Terax down, even if it's a cheap shot from behind, do it, right? You just got to stop him at any cost because innocent people are being hurt, killed, buried alive, who knows? So she knocks him off of this concrete tidal wave that he's been riding, but Terax is quickly back on his feet, surrounded by the Fantastic Four, the New Warriors, and he vows to fight them all and all of humanity until they're dead. Uh, but in the background, behind Reed Richards is a shimmering light revealed to be the help that Reed Richards has alluded to. And the surprise guest star appears, which is an answer to the trivia question, none other than Silver Surfer. This is the first time now that Terax actually looks worried as Silver Surfer grabs him, Terax actually begs, begs to make a compromise. But Silver Surfer won't have it. He grabs him and flies away with him. And Nova's like, wait, wait, wait. 
that's it. Like we basically find them all throughout the city. This dude just flies in from outer space, grabs them and flies off into outer space. And that's it. Like, where's our glory? Where's all of our like pats on the back? Like no one's going to know we did anything, but that's how that fight ends. But that's not how the issue ends. No, there is much, much more to be unfolded here in this issue. So hang on with me just a little bit longer. I know I've been talking for a long time. Uh, hopefully I've been entertaining at least, trying to be. But there is more. There is more to this issue. But I promise not to make it very long. I won't go on for another hour. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to shift over to Chicago, where we see a large figure beating on a man. Uh, the guy doing the beating, who is massive in size, he just looks like a big, burly dude. Uh, he's wearing these unusual glasses where it's like, you know, where your normal glasses would be. But then there's two more lenses on top, almost looking as if he literally has four eyes. And uh, he just seems to work for this gentleman named Mr. Kellington, who he is beating this guy for. When a mysterious stranger who we saw appear in Midnight's, um, Midnight Fire Cell appears and he tells the tall man, hey, you know what? I'm going to recruit you. You're going to be known as Bloodstrike, and my name is the Left Hand. And I promise to show you, Barnabas Collins, the truth about who you are, what you are, and you just have to come with me. And Mr. Kellington and the bodyguard are like, wait a minute, he works for me. And Left Hand proceeds to do the same thing he did to Midnight Fire's cellmate, and incinerates him and kills them both with a blast of black energy from his left hand, which is probably why he has the name the left hand. Cutting back to space, we see Silver Surfer throws Tarax onto a tiny, tiny, tiny island. We see this planet from a from a you know a space view, and it pretty much looks like all water except for this island. And the rest of the planet is water, and the planet is known as Polaris. P-L-U-R-A-R-I-S, so Plaris, Plaris 6, however you want to pronounce that, Plaris 6, um, that is primarily a planet that is water, which would not work well for someone who essentially needs, like, earth and soil to really use this power. And Silver Surfer notes that it's in the primordial stages of its planetary evolution, and... Terax should be able to rule over this world and its citizens uh, when evolution catches up in about three billion years. Billion. Terax screams, no, you can't do this to me. And Silver Surfer just flies off, leaving him stranded on this tiny little island. We cut back over to Rich Rider's place where he is now once again talking to his parents. And his parents assure him that, yeah, you know what? We actually understand. We've seen what you were like when you were not Nova. We know how much being Nova means to you. And we do think it's important that you are Nova and you do what you do. However, flying in and out of this window where we live uh, is going to potentially put us in a lot of trouble if one of your villains happened to spot us and attack the house or hold us hostage or something like that. You know, this is like truly something that could jeopardize us. And Rich Rider was like, well, what do you want me to do? And they were like, well, you you need to keep doing what you're doing, but you need to move out. So, ta-da. And then a quick jaunt over to Speedball's place. We see him call his parents by their first name rather than mom and dad as he just jams off to school. And at the Ambrose building, which is home of Dwayne Taylor, he and Silhouette come back from the Tarax fight. And Cord says he's late for a stakeholders meeting. And when Sil says, hey, look, we just had a really long fight. We've both been beat. Um, we just want to rest. Ty cuts her off and says, you have no place to speak like that. Keep your mouth shut. So Dwayne says, you know what? It's fine. I'll just go. It's fine. So we cut over then next to Vance, Marvel Boy, and Angelica, Firestar. And they're at the hospital tending to Vance's broken arm. And he has broken legs, a couple broken ribs. You know, he's pretty much banged up pretty badly from the Tarax fight. And Emery just shows up to ask him, you know, hey, how are you guys doing? Everything cool? And they're like, yeah, you know, just trying to heal up. She says, I want to show you something. And so as they're walking through the hospital, we see Mathematic, and he's pretty much covered from head to toe. Looks like he's got a broken arm, a broken leg, broken ribs. His head's in a bandage. Like, he is covered head to toe in bandages. And they're like, wow, like, he, you know, he took a beating for us. Like, 
you know, he wanted to do the right thing. And, you know, he took a beating for the new Warriors. He did the right thing and he got hurt really bad for it. And Amarita says, hmm, you should see Impulse. Like, if you think that looks bad, like, Impulse is way worse. And she goes on to say, and to make matters even a little more complicated for Impulse, the cops realized who he was and arrested him once he's going to, you know, once he's healed enough to get out of the hospital with his broken back because he has three outstanding warrants against him. So not only does he have a broken spine, he's severely beat. He has three outstanding warrants against him that result in him being arrested once he is good enough to leave the hospital. But Namorita says, that's actually not what I wanted to show you. It was this. And so they go into the room where the pregnant woman that Vance had saved, um, she's there and she says, I had a son and I want to name him after you. What is your name? And Vance says, my name is Vance. And she said, Vance is a strong name. I like it. And Vance is truly honored that this woman has named her son after him because, you know, both she and her son would probably not be on this world or, you know, the Marvel world had it not been for Vance. They would have clearly perished being buried alive due to Tarax. He's very honored and he's very humbled and he just feels like, you know, that's what I needed to see. That's kind of just brings everything back, you know, like this is why we do what we do. And so with that said, that's going to wrap up this uh, issue, this podcast. Uh, once again, we went ahead and we covered New Warriors 14 through 17. I'll go back through the trivia questions, which is in issue number 14, Dwayne, better known as Night Thrasher, gives something to Rich Rider, better known as Nova. What is it? So the answer, a copy of his original costume. Is that what you wrote down? Good. Next question. What is the name of the armor Namorita wears in issue number 14? It is called the Blood Code Carapace. All right. Next question tied to that. Does Namorita ever wear the armor again? If so, when? Yes, she does. She actually wears it the following issue in number 15, not to fight to the death, but because being in a bikini would not have given her the protection she needed from, you know, all the wounds that she was still recovering from, from sea urchin. So she was wearing the armor again to fight against psionics as a form of protection versus actual to the death. At the end of issue number 16, who says it's clobberin' time? At the end of issue 16, it is actually Speedball and Nova who say it. Who is seen in the final panel of issue 16 but not seen in the opening issue of number 17? This would be Speedball. At the end of 16, we see the Fantastic Four plus Nova and Speedball. In the opening page, which is very similar to the last page of 16, the opening page of 17, actually, Speedball is not drawn in the picture. He's there, he's just not in the opening scene. And who says it's clobbering time in the opening page of number 17? It's not a trick question, but it sort of is a trick question, because it's actually Thing who says it. So it seems like Thing would have said it both times, at the end of 16 and the opening of 17, but again... At the end of 16, it was Speedball Nova, and in the opening of 17, it's actually Thing. And the last trivia question was, the Fantastic Four appear in issue number 17, but who is the surprise guest appearance? That was the Silver Surfer. So hopefully you enjoyed this. If you did, like, share, subscribe, do whatever you do. Tell other people about the podcast and say, hey, this guy's back. Hopefully not an episode every five years. All right, thanks for hanging out, and until next time. Keep doing what you do and uh, meet me back here next time I do this. You're listening to The Crash Pod, the only New Warriors podcast and perhaps the most inconsistent podcast ever. You can find us over at newwarriors.com. Uh, we're also on iTunes. We have a Facebook group that is pretty cool. You can go to facebook.com forward slash newwarriors.com group, all spelled out. Also, if you want to follow us on other social media, we are on Twitter at Twitter at new underscore warriors. And I can't do this without recommending visiting www.novaprimepage.com, which is run by Doug Smith. 
it has anything and everything that has to do with Nova in any shape, way, or form. Whether it is Rich Ryder or Sam Alexander, it is covered here. And it is the only New Warriors-related site that has the honor of actually having appeared in a New Warriors comic, which had appeared in Nova. And I cannot emphasize enough checking out Corey Blake's New Warriors Continuity Conundrum. Uh, you can find that at newwarriors.wordpress.com. It is essentially every character who has ever been a New Warrior listed with their appearance in continuity lines. It also takes what issues uh, New Warriors have appeared in and put them all in a timeline that makes sense. It's incredible. Corey has put a ton of work into his site, as has Doug Smith, so I highly recommend checking out those sites. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and tell all your friends. You don't have to tell them how inconsistent we are, just tell all your friends.